And so knowing that and knowing like how hard it is to even publish a book, let alone publish a book, have it land inside of bookstores, find customers, find readers. Um, I've started to be able to just make that detachment in my head. So when I sit down to write and create, that is just about the art of creating and expressing whatever it is that I feel the need to express in that moment. And then when I hand it off to my agent, if I hand it off, if it's something that I decide to hand off to my agent, then um, just recognizing that if it doesn't make it, that is not a, um, it doesn't really say anything about my value as a creator. Welcome to another You May Contribute a Verse. Team Versi is Brenna Jennerette, author and outdoors mom, John Seymour, editor, author, illustrator, and data guy, and me, Josh Munkin, science communicator, dad, and author who does not practice what today's guest preaches. I absolutely cannot believe it's been nearly eight months since we first talked to Jess Towns. We got in right before Groundhog's Day on the occasion of her book, Groundhog Gets It Wrong, and are now making up for all that lost time by releasing our chat right before her next book, Sometimes I Cry, out in late September. And on that particular note, I'm really ready for Sometimes I Cry to touch hearts and minds. I try my best to avoid being a toxic male in all aspects of my life, but I uh, am not a crier. I wish I was. I imagine it to be cathartic and healthy. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get a sneak peek at Sometimes I Cry and can imagine how useful it will be in debunking some of those ways that, uh, that, that, that boys think of needing to be boys. Uh, in any case, I really hope you enjoy this third week in a row chat with my St. Louis region neighbor down the road. Check out Just Towns' first, but first, a literal word from our sponsor, if you'll spare your ear for a moment. Not sure if you saw recently, but Just Announced is Justin Colon's own multi-week course on the Kidlet Hive. Starting on October 3rd, Justin will host a Tuesday weekly course breaking down the mechanics of humor in a course titled Just That. Each week will build on the previous. There will be visual and verbal presentations of key texts, a little bit of homework and class exercises, and I am so glad Justin is offering this. Get in on it, as class size is limited to 20. As discussed in the last couple of episodes, coming the next day on October 4th, uh, it's a busy, busy month, will be the From Idea to Publication, Creating, Crafting, Revising, and Demystifying Children's Publishing course by Charles Bridge Senior Editor Karen Boss. These six sessions will provide a comprehensive look in StoryCraft from the first spark to the last page. Keep an eye out for new class offerings and just another quick plug for Justin's own editorial services new on his website. Find the full range of offerings and classes at kidlithive.com. Now here is Just House's verse. Maybe before next week is World Read Aloud Day, so maybe I should have this under control before. <laughs> yeah, true. What what are you doing for that? I, I saw something to where you had a whole bunch of read alouds set up. Yeah, yeah. I just um like I signed up with uh, Kate Messner does a big listing of authors who are interested in doing World Read Aloud Day, so you can add yourself and your email address to the list. And then um a, a wise um friend of mine uh who's done this ahead of me. It's so nice to have friends who've like been in the trenches longer than you. Um, Nadia Solomon recommended that I um, make a sign up genius so that when teachers reach out, rather than having to um, co like communicate back and forth with everybody with scheduling, just send them 
the sign of genius, they can choose the time slot. And then like a very green picture book author, I created my sign up genius and had like back to back slots. And then I shared it with, again, with some friends and they were like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you will need to eat. You will need to go You're to the restroom you will need yeah, right. to refresh your coffee. Right. Like um, let right. your dog out. I was like, oh, oh, okay. So then I went back in and modified the whole thing. So it's a more reasonable I mean, those are good pro tips. I feel like I would have done the exact same thing. Like, oh, okay. look at the read alouds I can do. Like, look oh how consistent I am. I'm going to talk to kids all over the country yeah. all day from six in the morning yeah. until midnight. School ends at three. Right, right. So <laughs> I think Brenna would be able to pull off your schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Brenna, are, you, are you boundless energy? I, I have a little energy <laughs> to share. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, we have so, to slow her audio down when we edit the podcast. Yeah, right. So to, so to put it into perspective a little bit, um, Josh and I were talking recently about, I can't even remember because we've had a lot of good news recently, but I remember like messaging him, like I put on all caps, right? Because it was like a big deal. And I was like, dude. And I, and then I used like all the exclamation points. And he was like, I was like, I'm excited. Can you tell? And he was like, yeah, he's like, you're usually at an 11, and this reads like a 13. And I was like, okay, good. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it's coming across. I'm so glad that you have good news. I love good news. Um, I, I don't know if either of you have done or are currently members of the 12 by 12 Picture Book Challenge. Yeah, yeah. You Okay, so we do a dance party every Friday. And yes. Marcy Colleen posts a super fun song, which I actually turn on and dance to because I feel like she I goes to the of, of finding music for us, like I'm gonna dance. And I love reading. That's like my favorite post of the week, reading everybody's good news. And it ranges from like, I can't, I had an idea. My good news is this week I had an idea, you know, or I wrote a draft, yes. or like I got a contract, or, you know, here's my cover. I, I just, that is my favorite. I love, yes. I love celebrating other people's good news. <laughs> Okay, so let me just interject real quick. So it's my it's my turn to edit the podcast for this week, right? Josh and okay. I switch off. So yesterday I spent the day editing our podcast for next week that will air with Madeline Gunhart. And we talked about, yeah, like like the positivity that you can sort of like share with other people and it becomes this sort of like joy bubble. So like the bigger yes. it gets, the more people it can fit in and it can sort of like lift you off and like take you with it. And mm -hmm. I just, I love that so much. And also in the spirit of that, Josh and I have recently launched something we call community shout outs for the podcast. So you can go on, get a community shout out and just tell us, you know, what, what it is you want us to shout out on the podcast, like any of that stuff, right? Like I got a great idea. My critique partner is awesome. Like I think this person's super rad or like, you know, whatever, Gerald finished his donuts or Justin launched a new program, right? Any of these. And we'll oh, shout fine. them out. We'll shout them right. out on the podcast just to like, you know, be a part of that joy bubble to lift everybody, lift everybody up down. a little bit. Writing us down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry, so anyways, Jeff. We'll put it in the show notes of your episode, so you'll be able to. Oh, well, I'm excited. I already have people I want to shout out. So. Oh, awesome! Well, it's on our it's on our link tree if you want to get in there, and if you want okay. them on the next episode, if you get them in today, I'm not recording it until tomorrow. So okay, it's a little behind the scenes on the podcast here, guys. Yeah, Sorry, we'll get to cool. we'll get to Jess's story soon. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, you're I aware love of that. It. I love that. So fun. <laughs> I uh, I also have to, have to acknowledge the weird time travel nature of how this works because we're recording we're we're doing the editing for Madeline's episode but yours is going to come out later putting Madeline's in the rearview mirror anyway right. 
very, it's very confusing sometimes. Yeah, right. People listening are going to be like, what the? <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. Um, okay. So this morning, serendipitously, um, the Seasons of Kidlet, Heather Mack um, blog popped into my inbox and I was like, Jess Towns, I'm like, seriously? I'm like, I'm talking to her today. So yeah. I read through I read through your whole blog post. It's awesome. So oh, Josh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you saw okay. it, but yeah, so it came out um, to talk about your new book about Groundhog Gets It Wrong, which mm-hmm. I can see in the background, dude, and the illustrations. So cute. I love them so much. I think she so just like knocks that groundhog out of the park. Yes. And I saw some of the spreads that you, that you shared. Oh my gosh. Like Groundhog working super hard and having like the sweat, like bead down his face. I just, I loved that so much. And he's all just like frazzled, like trying really hard to like make this work. I mean, who hasn't been there like trying to dig themselves out of their own mess? I know I have this morning on Google Chrome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. You're like, why Google Chrome? Why? And you may extremely relatable, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, very relatable. And I love, I love your answer to her question. She was like, "Tell us why this is a great book to read any time of year." And I loved what you said about that because, yeah, I mean, it is a Groundhog's Day story, but underneath it all, it's about resilience and trying again and like getting up after mistakes. Which I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I I really loved weaving that theme through the story, which um, wasn't my uh, like my initial intention with that book was writing a book about making mistakes and then making amends. Um, When my kids were little, we had a three step process to apologies in our house where you when you did something that harmed another person, you would apologize and then um, you would um, ask for forgiveness and then you would ask how you could make it better. And that third step was important to me for them to understand that sometimes you can't, like, sometimes I'm sorry isn't enough, right? And um, and sometimes how you make it better isn't enough, but that's maybe a little bit more <laughs> complex than we're going to tackle in, in a future. <laughs> right, so right. So that was sort of where the story started. And then topic, my yeah. editor was the one who suggested weaving in this extra theme of um, resilience and the idea of coming at something with confidence and then finding out it takes a little bit more work than you thought it would take. And that just when, when we got that request for a revision, that really struck a chord with me because that was me as a child. If I came up against something that I couldn't do easily, I was probably just not going to do it. Right. (laughs) Like it was, um, I was one of those kids that a lot of things came easily and I just didn't have a lot of that, um, grit. Mm. to push through the things that were harder. And it was something that I had to learn um, all, you know, through school and through college and as an adult and certainly in this industry, because Mm. like, this is something where you, you need to put in a lot of time and a lot of learning and a lot of growth and that never ends. You you have to keep learning and growing um, as a writer, as a creator. So I loved it. I loved the idea and I was thrilled to have the opportunity to do that revision with her. So acknowledging this is our second, um, our, our second Groundhog book that we've had on the podcast, Groundhog's Day. Yeah, we had Karen Nespoli on. And similarly, um, I mean, it's a, it, it's interesting how th- that it's, it's very time delimited in a sense. You know, you've got a small window to do a lesson on a book like this, presumably. But when you think about a- adding the layers of resilience or in Karen's case, um, I, I, like, I like the feminist undertones of, uh, of Gertie Saves the Day. Um, you put that on kids' bookshelves, and that gets pulled out again and again. It's not it's not tied to 
that one mm -hmm. specific day. It may be confusing for parents when you pull out a you know Groundhog's Day book in <laughs> July or whatever, but um, but the fact remains. Yeah, if they get interested, they'll pick it up. Yeah. I mean, and the same can be said for Spellbound, which, so I also read, I also read your blog post um, on Spellbound because I had read it when it came out, but I reread it just to sort of, you know, acclimate for the podcast. And I loved, I loved what you said because, okay, so first of all, so Josh, in this interview, she said um, they had originally thought it was a Halloween book, right? Which it is not. And so you went through and took out the word witch and that made all the difference. I have a Halloween book that also had a hard time out on sub and I read, I reread what you wrote today. And I was like, I could totally reframe that as non Halloween. And I still have like a bunch of hooks and it might do better. You know, Yeah, it might, it might. That's I'm glad that that might be helpful for you. And obviously, I mean, Halloween books do sell. It's not that there isn't a market for them. I mean, we certainly right. sell them at the bookstore every year, um, but it's a smaller market. So when you're in those editorial and acquisitions meetings, you know, they may or may not even have a slot for a Halloween book in their list that year. You know, totally. they may even change a Halloween book from their backlist. And that, you know, so it, it can be an automatic no without even being able to consider the story. And that is actually why we didn't start with Groundhog, because my um, agent felt that debuting with a holiday book of any kind is, is challenging, unless it's mm -hmm. a really fresh, unique take on the holiday or a fresh, unique holiday. Um, that otherwise, this is one to maybe like get a couple books ahead of it and then and then try it out. Well, that's that's a that's a nicely optimistic uh, look at your at your future. Let's let's sell two or three more books and then we'll sell this one. Like as a, as a new author, you're going, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's My do that. Agent is the best cheerleader. Like she, um, she's amazing, and she's always she always treats my career, and I would assume the careers of all her clients with that level of of optimism. It's just you, which is helpful because it trickles down. Because it's hard, it's hard to always feel that yourself. I I think. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, totally. And I I also love the idea because. I don't, I feel like I often just jump into things, right? I don't, I just like, I, I work under the notion that like, if I just show up and just like jump in, then like, it, you know, it will happen. I will learn what I need to learn along the way, which generally works out for me. But mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of times I do that. And then I sort of am looking around like, oh, shoot, like, I didn't really think this out. So my point is to have the forethought to be like, you know, maybe trying to debut with a holiday book is not the best thing for my career because my first book on sub is this Halloween book that I told you about. It was on sub for over a year. And just now my agent and I talked about, you know, going into the next year and what will we do? And we're like, okay, let's, you know, shelve this for a little while. Just see what happens. We'll go out with these other books. Um, and so I ha like having the forethought like that, I feel like is, is really smart. We had Justin Colon on too, who also said the same thing. You know, he and his agent really talked about how he wanted to come out as a debut author. Whereas I'm thinking, you want to buy any of my books? I don't care which ones they are. Like, go ahead, like brand me whatever kind of author you want. Like I will keep writing and it doesn't matter, you know, like just like all the books, but it, it's smart. It's smart to think about that way, about it that way and be a little bit more calculated, I think. So Anyways, yeah, kudos to you and your agent for thinking that out. I, I think both approaches can work. And I think that having that level of like 
it's, I can change, I can change, right? I, no matter how I come out of the gate, I can still shift gears. I can show up with something that looks totally different and that's not necessarily going to derail my career. I think that's true too. So I, I really, I don't necessarily think there's a right or wrong approach here. There's just the approach that you feel comfortable with. Um, yeah. Before we sold Spellbound, we almost sold a, um, a, a lyrical rhyming um, concept uh, manuscript and it went um, through to acquisitions and then they ended up passing on it and then I pulled it. I asked my agent to pull it from submission and um, it was, I got cold feet because it was rhyming and I don't write in rhyme very often. Mm. It was kind of a, a one-off um, and I thought, I don't know if I want to come out with a rhyming text first um, since that's probably not what I'll follow that up with. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I, again, I feel like if my stuff went to acquisitions, I would be like, yeah, like push it through double down. I'm a rhymer now. Like, yeah, let's roll with that. Right. But (laughs) I love that you were like, you know, I don't know if I can follow up with that. And also I feel like it, it has changed a little bit in the marketplace because there are so many editors, right? So if one editor picks up your rhymer book, that's awesome. There's like a bazillion others that are like, oh, I'll take your nonfiction. I'll take your, you know, historical, whatever. I'll, you know, I'll take your meta book. Like they're, you know, they're looking for different stuff. I think, I think, you know, several decades ago when you were first getting in the door with an editor, you could, you know, you could have easily, more easily been branded like a one kind of author, mm-hmm. author, because, you know, because there were so few options. And I think it's lucky for people like me who don't, who don't think like that and are just like excited across the board about whatever, yes. um, that there are so many to choose from and there are so many options. That's true. Really quick for the podcast, shout out your agent. Stephanie Fretwell Hill at Red Fox Literary. Very cool. Oh, Red Fox, nice. Mm-hmm. To, I'm, I'm interested. Like yeah, I'm. I'm interested in pulling apart sort of what those early negotiations were with Stephanie, in ter- in terms of you know w- what was the manuscript that got your foot in the door, and then what what were those interactions with her like? Is an awkward way to phrase it, but how did you interact with her in terms of you know what the the handful of manuscripts that you had submitted to her, or the discussions around you know what goes out first, what what how how strategic did that get? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So the manuscript that um, that first sparked her interest um, has not has not become a book. Um, it was one that I submitted to her through a critique opportunity through my local SCBWI region. So um, I, if you, if anyone's listening that's um, writing and, and hoping to become traditionally published, I, I recommend joining SCBWI and taking advantage of um, the opportunities that the organization affords you like this one. Um, at that time, she was a new agent, relatively new um, at Red Fox, and she was open to submission. But um, having the opportunity for a critique, I feel like is a lot more valuable than than submitting because you know you're going to get feedback. So even if they're not interested, then you're going to move your story forward and you're going to move it forward with the expertise of somebody who is in the field and um, has an eye on the market. She had come from an editorial background, so she had she had worked as an editor prior to um, becoming an agent. So I, I knew she could could see things from that perspective as well. So I um, when I got my critique back, she had um, asked me if I would be willing to um, send her more work. 
And so uh, that was kind of how that conversation started. So then I sent her a handful of additional manuscripts and we had a phone call and um, it, it went from there. So after I signed with her, we just kind of looked at my full body of work at that moment, the like about five manuscripts that we felt were either ready for submission or could become ready for submission. And then sort of strategically discussed what might be the best um, the best choices to put out um, on submission. So we put away um, the Groundhog one and I don't even think I had written Spellbound. I'd have to go back and look. I'm not, I don't think I had written that book at the time that I subbed to her. Um, but we put several things aside as like, oh, maybe these later. And then we put a couple aside as these aren't ready. And then we went out with um, two manuscripts right away. And um, neither of them actually uh, received a contract. The first one, uh, which I would definitely consider circling back to, um, we immediately got feedback from multiple editors that they had a very similar book in progress. And so um, at that point, I felt like even if we found a home for this book, it's going to come out at the same time as all of these similar books. And I didn't necessarily want it to come out and be like competing with um, some of its um, other books that had the same theme, same similar characters. And um, so that, that one we just kind of put in the drawer and we'll maybe circle back to it one day. The other one was out on sub for a long time, Brenna. So like you said, you had one out for a year. This one was out oh, for, I want to say almost two years. Who went to acquisitions twice oh, nice. um, and was passed on in acquisitions both times. Oh, so we that's kept rough. Thinking like, oh, it's so close. It's getting so close. And then we just, it's just kind of went through every possibility. And um, so we put, we put that one away. And the reasons that like it didn't go through those acquisition meetings were really interesting. Like one of them, um, it was set in a zoo and the, the team felt that a zoo might be a problematic setting for a picture book. And um, there's a lot of controversy over Zeus, um, like whether they are like good for conservation or harmful to animals. Mm. So, just visit the St. Louis Zoo if you have any questions about that, because they oh, talk I know our zoo is is yes. one of the most outstanding zoos um, in in the world. We're really lucky, and I think having like that being my zoo, Josh, I don't, I didn't have that. You know, that that feeling of like a zoo is a problematic place because I know that those animals are like so tremendously cared for mm. and they have so much space. And um, I mean, not only do we have the main zoo, but then we have that additional acreage up in North mm -hmm. County. Right. It's, it's really incredible. But wow. Yeah. But I, I you know, there that's a it's a valid point and it is a, a real market concern. So like I understood that that exists, whether no matter where, you know, I fall on the opinions around it. Yeah, you know, when you were saying zoos are problematic, I was thinking like, really? And then I was like, wait a second. Yeah, no, that's true. Like as as a vegan, I think about that a lot with my kid, yeah. right? Like he loves animals. He, so of course he loves going to the zoo and he doesn't, you know, he's not, he's five. He's not thinking about like the bigger ramifications. But mm -hmm. every time we go, I'm always like, man, do I, you know, how do I feel about this? Like I just, you know, like just, it, it can't, I understand how it could be. Problematic thinking really about it. Both sides of that, yeah, so easily. Especially, and the book wasn't about zoos; it just happened to be set at one. So, yeah. you know, right. it would certainly be something I could maybe revisit, but but it involved such an array of animals that I don't know where you would ever find that collection. <laughs> <laughs> so bio, biodiversity preserve or something. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. making a preserve. Yeah, smart. Yeah. 
Smart. Yep. You know, I've gotten feedback on um, a manuscript that I have out on some now with sort of similar um, similar themes. So like, or sorry, it does. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with the zoo. But I got feedback back that was like, um, we have trouble selling books about birthdays, and I was like, okay, first of all, really, and secondly. <laughs> It's not about birthdays. It's really not. Like if you read the manuscript, you would know that. So I don't want to work with you anyway. So thank you. No, thank yeah. you. Like, right? Your, your reaction's like, yeah, this sounds like a you problem if you can't sell birthdays. <laughs> yeah, right? Me. Like I, I'm going to move along. Like that's fine. And which sometimes though, it's they're looking at the marketing hook. It's not maybe that they didn't read yeah. the manuscript. It's just that they understand that even if it is about something else, this is going to be the marketing hook. And Totally, totally. Yeah. And in, in an editor's defense, like, like I, I am not, I'm not saying that they, you know, like they weren't doing their job or whatever. All, all I'm saying is like, yeah, I get it. Like you're looking at a bazillion manuscripts a day, right? You can't possibly read through every single one. You probably saw the title of mine and was like, okay, look, this is usually hard for me. I'm going to just, you know, I'm just going to pass because I don't have the bandwidth, okay. which, you know, I totally get. I also got another comment though, that was like, um, I don't like, what did they say? Something about like, they don't like um, books with Kings and Queens. Cause that's another piece yeah. of the puzzle and I was like okay okay that's cool yeah. like that's very you, specific you, but want, like... <laughs> you really want your editor to love your manuscript right? right I mean that you want that fit to be there so if they don't like kings and queens they are not the person to champion your work yeah. or to help you form it into the book that it can be because like it's not for them so, totally but, which is fine like you're saying because then yeah. right you're not you're not the right editor and that's fine and we'll just we'll move along but I guess my point is to say like yeah the you know, the feedback can range so, so, you know, vastly that it's like, just write what you feel like you want to write and it will resonate eventually with that right person. And they will love birthdays and royalty. (laughs) Even though it's not even a lot of people people love royalty. I mean, right. And to be fair, it's not actually, the book is actually not even about either of those things. Josh has read the book. It's Mm -hmm. not about either of those themes they just have it's to a very read, read between the lines kind of <laughs> yeah. book for sure. anyways anyways i i'm digressing i just wanted to sympathize with what you were saying because i i get that yeah and feedback is just across the board so yeah but it's all <laughs> feedback right and so that it can be helpful it kind of helps you know the market a little better yeah. helps you understand you know all of those things so yeah so those first two ended up you know we ended up putting them both away and then we moved on to Spellbound, which I believe I wrote after I signed with her, I think is how that, how, if I'm remembering correctly, the years are a blur, especially after COVID. I'm like, what? The years are a blur. Yes, what they year? are. What year is it? Right. Like, when did I start? Um, so. Hey, re- really quick. We'll cut this, mm, this, this call to action out, but we do something on the podcast that we've started teeing up for people, but I forgot. Yeah, I'm Brennan. I forgot too. I was thinking Brennan. that. Yeah. Tell um, her. And, and segment Dead Manuscript Society, if you have a manuscript, which it sounds like you do, that is benched and you don't anticipate going out on sub, we do a read aloud at the end of the episode. So just to give like a benched manuscript some love. So if you have something close at hand, it's not a must, but we could do a read aloud at the end of the episode. I don't think I have one that would read aloud well. Like like what I'm thinking of with the zoo has a tremendous amount of art notes because it's a lot of signs that involved a lot <laughs> oh sure a little bit of a wonky read aloud <laughs> yeah no yeah no problem and we didn't and give I, might, up, I so. might reuse it I might I like there's some stuff in there that I'm like oh maybe I could you know I'm kind of 
Totally. Yeah, it's not, it's, yeah. yeah I, I would I would say I feel that way about most of my manuscripts as well, is that, uh, you know, you, you hope that some version of something that you've created is going to see the light of day. But again, going back to Justin Cologne's interview, it's it's all experience points and it's all sort of working towards something else in the future where you can utilize yes. the experience that you've had before. Yes. I mean, I definitely have manuscripts that will never see the light of day, but they're not ones that I've ever put on sub. Read one of those. Yeah, read <laughs> like, one of those. Yeah. Read one of those before too. I call those like practice manuscripts, and I think they're so valuable. You know, working your way through a story idea that you're like, mm -hmm. oh, I've got this great idea, and then you write it, and you're like, that's not right, and you rewrite it, and you rewrite it, and then you finally just realize there's not enough here. This isn't this isn't enough I can't to make be. This work. A picture book. This isn't enough to ask a publishing company to invest that kind of time and money and to, to make it. It doesn't, it's not, maybe it's just not really saying something. Maybe it's funny or, you know, it's got a like fun little play on words, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have that extra layer, you know, and I'm all, that's why I'm always looking for that layer in a picture mm. book. I always want there to be that extra layer. Like a birthday cake or a king and a queen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just hypothetically <laughs> speaking. Yeah. It doesn't have a birthday cake. I mean, is it a picture book? <laughs> Thank you, Jess. Thank you. I feel so Let's talk about the distinct lack of birthday cake in Spellbound. There is. Despite, there is. Which is a shame because there is a baby and yeah, it was right. born. There should have been. There's a cupcake. <laughs> there is a cupcake. Oh, there we true. go. That counts. All right. Yeah. You sneak, you sneak through. And there's carrot cake in Groundhog. So wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Something. I think we've cracked it. I think you did. Now, wait a second. Your next, your next book, does it come out this year or in 24? It is. It's coming out in September of this year. Does it have cake in it? Sometimes I cry. I was just thinking there is a baking scene and, um, that takes place in a cinnamon and flour kitchen. Do you have that kind of sway with your editor to say, look, let's make sure this Listen is Listen to me. No, it's done. It's, it's, I have the colored proofs. It's, it is. Oh, wow. Is, that's so that's exciting. It yeah. is. It is. It is so beautiful. I, um, I feel so lucky. Um, <laughs> to have been paired with um, Daniel Miaris on this book. I think his work is stunning. And I just feel like he like understood what I was trying to do with this manuscript and just captured it in a way that like, I would never, I couldn't have even imagined. It's, it's so pretty. I'm so excited. And so what did you say it? When does, when does it come out later this September. year? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you there, the time for revisions is, has well passed. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> if there's not a cake, there won't be a cake. Yeah. Right. It's, there will be when least, it comes there out. There is at least baking. There is still like, a, we, we hold that through line. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> I will I make love... sure and stop by uh, for some cake uh, at Main Street Books when it debuts. Nice. There we go. Hey everybody, just a quick mid-episode break to take a look at some of our choice books uh, for the week. Uh, here's Brenna's to start with. Like kindness, superheroes, what about bunnies? Well then, she's got a book for you. Super Buns, written and illustrated by Diane Credenzer, is a book about how being kind can save someone's day. Adorably cute, irresistibly drawn, and a really important message to boot. Uh, Brenna suggests that you pick this one from the patch today. 
John's review is for Monet's Cat by Leonard Murray, beautifully illustrated by Becky Cameron. A brilliant and wonderfully clever story about a magical cat, Chica, belong belonging to Claude Monet that gently introduces readers to his impressionist artwork. It's a delightfully uh, <laughs> delightful adventure as Claude tries to track down her feline friend, his feline friend, through the worlds that he himself painted, where playfulness, fun, and education are wonderfully woven together for everyone to enjoy. And finally, another cat book, uh, two in a row for me, well, two in a row from John's, uh, <laughs> stop ad-libbing, another cat review, cat book review for me this week, Forget Sophie Blackall's celebrated book, Farmhouse. Well, don't forget it. It's great, too. But our, in our house, uh, we are all about Sophie Blackall's 2021 book, Negative Cat Witch. Much like the Jenny Awful book, Sparky, which I reviewed a few weeks ago, deals with a much-anticipated pet not quite meeting expectations uh, for the family. Both Sparky and Negative Cat are hilarious, but I do love Blackall's comparative juxtaposition as both the main character and Negative Cat themselves struggle throughout with being accepted and loved for who they are. Come to this book for the acceptance message, but then also stay with this book for the expressive side eye Negative Cat delivers to all the humans. As always, thank all of you for listening. We hope you are enjoying the chat. And now back to Jess Townsend's verse. I love what you said about um, the illustrator, though, because I feel like so many authors who have come on the podcast say the same thing. Like, you know, they're just like blown away by sort of the insight and the intuitiveness that the illustrator has brought to the manuscript. I just it's yeah, it's incredible to see when when the two sort of fuse together and like what can come of it. That's sort of the like where the picture book magic lies, you know, like. Yeah, it's I, I totally agree. And I have felt that way about all three um, illustrators that I've worked with so far. And, um, it, I think that's one of the things I love about this format is that it really is that like interplay of word and text and one without the other doesn't always tell the complete story. And I think in the best, best picture books, it, it doesn't tell the complete story. And, um, I really love seeing what the illustrators bring to the page that I didn't come up with, you know, that wasn't my, idea or suggestion because it's always something like that I wouldn't have thought of you know that's just a really fun cool or funny um, addition to you it's kind of like invisible mad libs like you sort of write it out and you leave these spaces for them to fill in and then they come up with these like amazing additions and you're like whoa I never thought of that adjective nice like yes Yes. And on the, the book that um, is coming out later this year, when I wrote it, um, it was written in such a way that you could interpret it as a single protagonist, or you could have interpreted it as multiple kids experiencing these different vignettes. And I didn't, I didn't say, you know, which way to go. Um, and so that was really fun. And I think, I think um, Daniel and the editor and art director made the exact right choice, which is they follow one, one boy through all of these experiences. And I think it, it's more resonant that way because the book, um, the book is called Sometimes I Cry and it's an exploration of all of the different moments in life that can um, bring us to tears. And I love seeing one child, you know, experience all of them because I, I think um, that that's, that's kind of the point, right? Is that it's, um, we all experience a huge range of emotions and um, I'm a big, fan of feeling your feelings, like going ahead and sitting inside of them and feeling them all the way through to the other side and not being afraid of them, even if they feel a little big or scary 
are overwhelming. And I'm, uh, I'm a crier. So, uh, um, and Watch I out def- for later in the, later in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I really wanted to write something that helps kids and especially boys, um, like feel like this is a normal part of being human. We, we cry for all kinds of reasons and not only is it normal, it's healthy. Well, I was going to flippantly joke like this, this does not resonate with me because I'm a straight white, you know, male. So <laughs> I either eat my feelings or just outright repress them. No, no, that's, not, that's not true. And in fact, um, that sort of sensitivity engendering book is, is so valuable for boys who are so strongly socialized to strong it out, uh, mm-hmm. to tough it out and just, just, just be boys. And I, I reject that wholeheartedly. Yeah. So yeah. kudos. And I feel like it makes for a lot of really like angry and, you know, unhappy boys as well. Right. Like when you follow that through, like you, you sort of see that you can see that evolve in kids and it's, it's kind of a bummer, you know? So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm glad that the books like this are coming out. And I was going to say, I feel like there's sort of something in the, you know, in the zeitgeist out there because um, Audrey Perot, she just had her book um, announced yesterday called Muhu, and it's similar. It's It has sort of similar themes about like- That is an you know, adorable title. Oh my gosh. Right? And it, sounds, <laughs> it just sounds super cute. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was just announced yesterday. She's coming on the podcast next week. So I'm excited we get to talk oh, about cool. it. Oh, cool. But I had similar thoughts. I was like, oh, that's, yeah, that's, you know, we need, we need more of those so that it, it's sort of normalized. Like, this is what happens. Like, if you're sad, yeah, you cry. If you're mad, you, you get mad and then you let those emotions out and then you move on. That's, that's what we're working on in my house. Like we let the emotions out, but then like, nobody wants to move on. And I'm like, okay. Oh, like, we have to like, <laughs> okay. yeah. And I'm like, okay, we can like, let this go now. Like we could sort of like, you know, Brenna, do something that's, else. The, that's the book for you to work on. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what Some... to do on the other side of your feelings? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, how do you let it go? Like I'm in it now. I've read all these great books and we've like done the thing, but now we yeah. like can't get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, so interesting. Yeah. We're working on that in our household too. I, I yeah. like the idea of a follow-up to sometimes I cry, which is like, and, and then I move on or, uh, <laughs> and then I keep crying maybe. Or, and, and then I get by, right. If you wanted to like rhyme it. So it's, yeah. Or then I say goodbye or That's something. Good. Yeah, and then you're just like, you're done with it. And, okay, instead of Done Manuscript Society, we're just going to brainstorm. We're going to workshop, workshop another it. book, yes, right? We're going to workshop this whole new. <laughs> Editors, again, we're available for hire. <laughs> like they need more books. Podcast territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Spellbound. Uh, how personal is that? So you were talking about your kids um, giving you browser advice like advising you or like ridiculing you on what browser to set as your default. I'm imagining that they are not as young as the children in Spellbound anymore if they've got browser preferences. No, not at all. Um, I have a freshman in college and a sophomore in high school. Wow. Yes. So I have a big kid mama, a grown kid almost (laughs) um mama and when I started um writing for children they were younger but they were they were past um picture book age in fact it's part of what uh inspired me is I realized when we cut to the point where they stopped choosing picture books at the library I kept checking them out and I would like still like force family read alouds out of (laughs) picture books because I love I I love picture books so much like I have always loved them since I was a child 
And I realized I wasn't ready to, to give them up. So I would just check them out and read them myself. And I was, I've always been a writer, but I hadn't written for children. And it was around that age where I decided, I think this is something I want to pursue. As um, a way to hang on to your kids, like innocence. Sort of, yeah. I know, you're four, I know you're 14, but please sit in my lap for like five I Everybody <laughs> gather around for story time. Um, so yeah, they are, they are a little bit older. They do give me all kinds of really sound and excellent technological advice that I sometimes ignore. We've definitely moved <laughs> that phase of me having to like text them questions about my phone, you know, like, you know, they'll show me things. I'm like, I didn't know my iPhone could do that. And then I feel like my mom. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So no, Spellbound wasn't really inspired by my own, um, by my own children. They, um, they're two and a half years apart. And when my younger was born, um, my older kiddo really didn't have a strong, um, like jealousy response. Uh, and not all kids do that, you know, this is not a, a universal experience, at least not at birth. I do believe that sibling rivalry crops up at some point in every sibling relationship, but, um, in our home, it was not at that, at that particular age. The only time he ever made a comment um, was when Liam was about four months old and we were just sitting in his room playing blocks and Liam was, you know, laying in his little baby thing and Ronan looks at me and says, when does he go back in your belly? <laughs> nice. He's all like, I've been putting up with this. Break. I've been really patient. When is yeah, the I was end like, date here? Oh, oh yeah. Like we didn't explain to you that this is, um, forever. And, uh, my oldest kid is, uh, He's incredibly intelligent. We could, we could barely keep up with him, you know, his entire life. And so many times through his childhood, things like this would happen where we would realize this child needed a bigger explanation than what we provided him. Um, my favorite story was when he was about four or five, we went on a vacation out East and we rented a car from the airport. And for years, my child thought that we stole a car from the airport, drove it around for a week, and then returned it to the airport. Awesome. Until he realized, like, a thing called rent renting exists. And is that a picture book? That's an awesome picture book. He thinks his family is, like, outlaws, but really, you know, like, he wasn't going to snitch. He wasn't going to tell on us. He didn't tell anybody. That's some loyalty right there. That is loyalty because we went through a we went through a short period where we would go to the store and every time we left, my kid would be like, "Did you pay for that?" I'm like, "At what point did I ever make you think that I was like in here just like taking things home without paying for them?" I He's know, like, but as, on me. As a parent, it never would have occurred to me that I would need to explain to a four year old what car rentals are. Like, right? Yeah, this is just what we do. Of them. Yeah. Right. I love. Okay, so here's where I am. Um, there's a version of this where you go back to the kid. Well, no, but in case I ever do, you're going to play it cool, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Here's the sign we've worked out. Here is where yeah. we meet if we, get, if we get separated. Here's the home base, the yeah. code. <laughs> Baby keeps a secret. Uh, no, so Spellbound, um, that story, and, and it certainly was not my experience with my brother either. I was 18 months when he was born, and I 
truly believed my parents had brought home a like live breathing doll that was mine to care for and play with. I loved him so much that every time they would take him out of my lap, I would scream and cry. It was inconsolable. They would find wow. me like going into his room and crawling in his crib and like cuddling him at night. And he was my like absolute sidekick, best friend and playmate until he was about four or five. And then he was like, wait a minute, I'm a boy, you know, and it was all over for me. <laughs> so you wrote something yeah. like right for him uh yeah but um I worked as a birth doula and a lactation counselor for many years and that was really where that story was born um was just from watching so many families add um babies to their family and all the the varied ways that kids respond to that and just that like bearing witness to um that like exponential magic of love and how you know, it's, it's like your heart grows bigger with each child. It's not like you have to cut it up into smaller pieces and divide it out so that there's enough for each kid. It's almost like you just get to keep growing it every time. And that was, that was kind of the idea behind that story was, um, sharing the idea of that, like magical math, which I think math is magic anyway. Like, I don't understand it. It looks like magic. (laughs) You're just like Caitlin Sanchez. She, She also loves math. She gets it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just your time when you have more than one kid that you have to slice and dice <laughs> more That's finely true. than you yeah. care to. <laughs> that is so, absolutely accurate. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, but it, it's it, it's strikes me as as interesting to observe. Like you've already answered my follow up question, which which was how, how did you lock into such a relatable concept, not having experienced it before? It's it's through these things that you've observed in your life. Spellbound didn't come around in time for my oldest to consume it in a meaningful way. She hasn't read it because she's she's going on ten this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that but that experience was a lived experience for us. I found myself like really really relating to the main character girl. Did you? Because uh, that's that's the that's the experience our our oldest had. It's like you know, oh I'm gonna you know blah around. I'm gonna just go be morose on the couch while mommy and daddy pay attention to the new baby and you know it's entertaining for for my youngest to read um when we got our hands on it but but not relatable in the same way so mm-hmm. anyway it resonated for sure oh, i i was that main character when my sister came along yeah. i was like so displeased and i didn't sit morosely on the couch i made it known i was like really upset about it i'm like hello i'm still here i'm still really we fun yeah yeah no I was always like like pinching her like when nobody could see and then being like oh she's so obnoxious like why is she always crying you know like stuff like that just like so yeah I was mischievous and naughty about it and just like wanted her to go home I did that or not to my home somewhere else back in back in your mom's belly yeah wherever whatever had to happen I just was like not okay with it did you ever flush her pacifiers down the toilet no, but I did shut her nose in a door because she was trying to get my, yeah, Whoa. because she was trying to get my, my little pony house. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I purposely like held her and like shut the, it was like an accident, right? We were pulling back and forth on the door because the, mm-hmm. my little pony house was in my room. And so it was mine and she kept trying to get in there and I was like pulling and she was shoving and back and forth and back and forth. And it like clipped her nose. It Aww. wasn't good. Yeah. It wasn't so good. Com- we're, to be fair, shout we, out we are friends now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, we are friends now. She lives like five minutes from me. Like we, we hang out That's often. Awesome. Yeah. Like, but it was, that was rough 
for me as an only child and a Leo and somebody who likes a lot like you know I like to have a lot of attention and like you have people like talk to me and like acknowledge that I'm there right yeah it was that was hard so I I also resonated with your with your main character (laughs) see picture books are for all ages this is what I'm saying like they are. We're coming to some like really, really emotional uh, catharsis here, just for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's the bookstore been like? How long have you been at Main Street Books? Like I'm, um, I, I've been there. I'm intensely about curious about this because this is my this it's it's my home, you know, indie bookstore. Indie, yeah. yeah. I've been there about a year and a half, and um, I love I love working there. It is uh, it's such a joy, honestly. Like it. Indie bookstores are a special kind of retail space. I don't know if either of you have ever worked retail before, but um, I I did. I worked retail um, in high school and college and a little bit right out of college. I did a very brief stint in retail management, Um, but in like corporate retail stores, you know, places with corporate headquarters. And the beautiful thing about an indie bookstore is that the customers all really, really, really want to be there. Like there's nothing there that they have to go by. They're not running an errand. They're not, you know, mm. this is um, this is their like joy or their hobby or their passion or their work. And so when they come in, they come in like excited to be there. And that is so fun. I I, I don't know that I've ever, uh, oh, a couple. I was like, wait, I remember a couple of like mm, interactions with customers, but for the most part, our customers are just completely delightful and they love to talk about books and I love to talk about books. So like what could be better? Um, I mean, sometimes the administrative stuff gets in the way, you know, like where I can't spend all day talking to them about books because maybe I have a stack of receiving that I, (laughs) that I have to do. But even then we put customer comes first. So if someone walks in the door, I get to put that aside and spend (laughs) all my time with them, you know? Um, So like, I I love working there. The, I've learned a lot about the industry uh, from a different perspective, working at an indie bookstore. So that's been kind of um, illuminating and interesting as a writer. And I had a little bit of that experience when I was our uh, co-regional advisor for SCBWI. I got a little bit of a like behind the scenes peek into um, like what an editor and agent does all day and like how, what, you know, what they're, cause they would talk pretty openly and, in front of us at conferences and events that we would plan. Um, But this is even like a different side because now I'm seeing more of the like publicity and marketing and sales side of the business. And that, um, that has helped me um, more than almost anything else that I've done, learn to separate the business from what I create and the time I spend creating because the num if you look at the numbers, it's kind of grim, right? Like mm. our our store holds approximately ten thousand titles. That's all we have space for as an indie bookseller. And um, a single season catalog from a single like big five, big four publisher might have a thousand titles in it. Like we we might choose ten of the thousand that they published to yeah, to bring wow. into our store, right? From a publisher and then maybe another 10 here and a 10 there. You know, we we just don't have the room to bring in everything new that's that's put out there. And then for everything new that we bring in, we may have to let some older things go to make space for that. So then 
you know, you're like, how do you decide? How do you decide what's time to take off the shelf to make space for something new? And every indie bookseller across the country is making these same decisions. And obviously we're making different choices. We don't all stock the same books. But when I hear, you know, writers saying like, I can't get my books into stores, I understand why now, because there's just a real, like real estate limitation to what what we could shelf. And so knowing that and knowing like how hard it is to even publish a book, let alone publish a book, have it land inside of bookstores, find customers, find readers. Um, I've started to be able to just make that detachment in my head. So when I sit down to write and create, that is just about the art of creating and expressing whatever it is that I feel the need to express in that moment. And then when I hand it off to my agent, if I hand it off, if it's something that I decide to hand off to my agent, then um, just recognizing that if it doesn't make it, that is not a, um, it doesn't really say anything about my value as a creator. Yeah. And there are so many steps along the way that are completely outside of your control that uh, could become barriers circumstantially mm -hmm. or or otherwise market wise that become challenges. So, yes. yeah, we talk about that a lot, how how th that sort of compartmentalization and detachment is important to develop, to sort of suppress your ego and your goals and just do it because you want to do it, not because you want to, you know, make some make a whole bunch yeah. of money off of it. This is not the business yes. for that. Right. And then another thing that I think is really illuminating about being there is it just really shows how subjective um, taste is, right? Because even in our own staff, we can have pretty big disagreements on the things that we read. You know, somebody will write a staff pick on a book that was maybe my least favorite thing I read that year. And that, you know, that's that's normal. I, that's, you know, that when we make something, we don't make it forever. Nothing is for everybody. Nothing is for everybody. So that's, I think, a helpful, a helpful reminder too. Except for Jeff Kinney's books. Who's? Or De Jeff Kinney or uh, oh, Jeff yes. Wilkie. <laughs> Those <Yeah>. are for everybody. <laughs> no, that's really good to keep in mind though, because if you're going to have any sort of like confidence or like motivation to keep going in the industry, you have to detach at some point, right? Like you have to do it because you enjoy it and then you have to sort of let it go and just whatever happens, happens. Because- even like we were saying before, if you have a book come out and it's even if it's really, really good, if there's something out there because there's some like magic happening in like the shared mind and like everybody else comes out with a similar book that year, it, it's nothing that you did. It's just that, no. you know, everybody has that idea or, or whatever, like your writing is still valuable. You're still, you know, you still have talent, you still have value. It just, it just wasn't the right time, which, yeah, it's like a miracle when anything gets published, which is part of why I keep bringing back the joy bubble because it's like it celebrate the miracle, right? Because maybe, you know, one day that will be you if you keep like adding to it, you know, like everybody will get there. It's just a matter of like you have to keep going and you have to just like let go of some of that stuff because otherwise it just drags you down. You get you just are crushed by it. So. Yes. Yes. And I think most, not everybody, I guess, but most people who come to writing, especially for children, um, are like, we have sensitive souls. We, we, we bring that to the table. I, I know for me, um, I really remember being a kid. Like I remember those feelings, um, intimately and I don't want to disconnect from that because I think that's part of what, um, I bring to the page when I, when I sit down to write. So I don't want to become super thick skinned. I, that's not 
my goal. <laughs> but uh, it's more of just being able to just kind of separate, separate the two, the business and the, and the yeah, craft. Right. Yep. My, keep my thin skin while I'm writing and then put them on my armor a little once I shoo it out the door. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, having talked about your, your three books that are talk, talk aboutable and, um, you know, talking to you for the last hour, I think that's aside from cakes and baking that, that that's the through line there is, is emotional honesty from that resilience to, you know, lack of attention and coping with that to, ah, that's what my feeling. books are missing. So, I've got Emotional the cake honesty? part. Yeah, I've got, I've got the, I've got the pastries, but I just shoot. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that I mean, yeah, that's totally true. I, I totally 100% agree with that. Yeah, if you're not vulnerable on the page, then you know you don't connect with anybody. But once, once you have been vulnerable, yeah, put the armor back on because it's, you know, yeah, it's not going to be for everybody. So no, mm-hmm. it never will be. Yeah, right. Well, I think the bookstore beckons today right it Are you does it today? does we did um inventory this week and uh had our carpets cleaned and we cleaned out the storage closet which is like my greatest joy i i love to um declutter and organize things like <laughs> if i weren't a writer i think that maybe would be my career it would be like a professional organizer awesome. so I um, had to leave that day early um, when they were working on it. So I haven't seen it yet. And I can't like, I can't, I'm barely containing myself. I, <laughs> I use home organization as a reward for writing the way that other people use it as a procrastination tool. <laughs> I love like, that. I get through this. I get to go do a drawer in my kitchen. <laughs> do you run out of stuff at some point? Are you just so organized that you're like, shoot, I should like clutter something no. up just so I can no, because like... I leave with three like chaos gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great title. Let's call the podcast that. Let's call the podcast episode <laughs> Chaos Gremlins. <laughs> yeah. So. Awesome. so my work um, is never done. You're you're not that far from me. Uh, please, on the side, send me your rates because we could use your help over here. <laughs> I would, I would love to. I would, I would love to. And let me tell you, like when I do help people with this, as you can probably guess, it's an emotional journey. Like we're going to talk about your stuff. <laughs> Maybe you can write yeah. a book. You can eat. You can eat donuts. You can go on an emotional journey of organization, and then you can have a picture book at the end. Josh, this is great I multitasking. Have, I do have a picture book manuscript that. Um, does involve um, letting go of belongings and has sprinkled donuts in it. Yes. The, guys, this is gold. This is, I mean. I honestly yeah, didn't diagram. realize there was so much food in my work. So thank you for, like, thank you. I had no idea. We this have is, cracked the code. I, I didn't know. This was like, I, ha- I got this one review for Groundhog Gets It Wrong. I think it was Publishers Weekly that called, but I could be wrong. I should check. That called it a pro-science fable. I had no wow. idea that I had written a pro science fable. That was not my intention whatsoever. But then I thought, way to go me. I know. I was like, I'll take it. Thank you. And right. yes, I am pro science actually. And perhaps we shouldn't listen to a groundhog when it comes to meteorology. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was like, that's cool. I didn't even see that layer. I wrote something with a layer I didn't even see. I love that. Yeah. Again, there are so many things so, outside your control. So many layers. Yes. Oh my gosh. Right. Well, I'm glad we've moved on from the organization. Yeah, part. right. <laughs> I'm having to face some uncomfortable truths about myself. 
Josh is sweating over there. He's yeah, like, I'm glad I didn't tell her my address. Yeah, totally. He's like, she has a general a general idea, but that's it. She'll, she'll circle, circle. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Jess, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about before we let you go? Uh, no, I mean, I could probably like turn the tables and sit here another hour and interview both of you because I like now want to know so much more about you both and what you're writing and what you're working on. And of course, I want to hear all of your good news and I want to know about your kids and where you live. And <laughs> I love all of this. We boring. don't have time for that today. Yeah. <laughs> but now you're my friends. So yes, I love <laughs> making new friends. Me too. Me too. <laughs> So thank you so much for having me on. This has been really delightful and easy. Um, thank you for that too. I was a little bit nervous, but. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm oh, so glad. Yeah. yeah, we just, we loved having you on. I mean, I'm speaking for Josh now here, but I know that he also enjoyed it. So. Yeah. <laughs> See? Yeah. <Here's> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Jess. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening this week. Find all of our episodes and other associated links and information at linktree.com slash verse show. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you next verse. Bye.